Good evening, everyone, and welcome to episode four of the Political Tipster. Now, I'm afraid it's just me tonight, but uh, I'm sure we'll have a lot of fun anyway. This week, uh, I've decided to go international, and we're going to be looking at the French regional elections. Uh, so last Sunday, we had the first round results, which I will be mulling over. And uh, this coming Sunday, we will be having the second round. So I'll be giving plenty of tips and predictions for those. Um, but I'm quite excited this week because I'm not going to do the usual, just uh, looking at numbers, giving you tips. I'm going to give you a bit of a history lesson as well. Um, we're going to be looking at how political loyalties and how the political system in France today was shaped, um, mainly due actually to sort of anthropological reasons in uh, family structures and, and religion and agriculture, which uh, precede the revolution. So I'm um, quite excited to look at that. Um, but first of all, uh, let, let's look at uh, the first round of results that happened. So just a bit of background. So the French regional elections uh, essentially happen every five years and they are to elect the regional assemblies. Now, originally France did have 22 regions, um, but around, the, I believe it was 2016, um, the government chose to reduce the number of regions from 22 to 13 regions in order to reduce the ridiculously large uh, bureaucracy in France. So you ask me, what are the jobs of the regional assemblies? Well, it has six fairly important jobs. So first of all is transport. So it looks after local train lines, stations, buses, and sometimes ports, depending on where you're situated. Education, the regional assemblies focus primarily on secondary schools, uh, funding, etc. Then we have professional training programs. Uh, and then we have aids and subsidies for local businesses. Then we have patrimony. So that could be conservation of local parks, museums or libraries. And finally, we, we have plenty of financing infrastructure. But um, the problem is in France, which I will talk about later, is it's overly centralized constitution. So the executive branch has, in my opinion, from a more Anglo-Saxon perspective, uh, far too much power and um, it leaves the local branches with, with not much left to play with. Anyway, um, these elections can give us an indication of national mood, uh, which is always, you could sort of see it as the equivalent of the US midterms, we'll say. But anyway, how does the voting system work? As I said, it's a two round system. So in the first round, you are only required to obtain a score of 10% or more in order to reach the second round. But if you manage to get between five or 
then you are able to merge um, with lists in the second round. So, for example, if the Socialist Party obtains more than 10% in the first round, um, but it's worried that it will not have enough votes to beat the right, uh, then it could look at possibly uh, an ecology party, which has only got 7% of the vote, and they can merge um, with that party and promise them a handful of seats if they are elected. So in the second round, the election is decided by proportional representation. So um, yeah, the, the seats are divided equally between the parties. And then that assembly will then elect um, its uh, regional representative. So um, or the majority of the time, the winning party will select uh, the regional representative. There has been the odd time of unity between winning parties to put someone else in power, but these days that's very rare. So looking at the results themselves, so it was very similar to the English um, mayoral elections and the, the local elections we had recently in that uh, it was a very good night for incumbents. So in every single region, um, it looks as if by the second round, uh, those parties who are in power will remain in power. Um, so in total, we had uh, in the first round, uh, the centre-right, Le Républicain, won six regions, the Socialists won five, the Rassemblement National, which is Marine Le Pen's, uh, we'll say far-right party won just one region and the Portico regionalists won one for themselves. Uh, it was particularly good night for centre-right Les Républicains, who, um, who had two of the potential presidential candidates for next year, Javier Bertrand and Laurent, uh, oof, I can never pronounce his name right, Laurent Wakies, uh, who won the biggest majority of the night in Haute-de-France and Auvergne-Rhône-Alpes, respectively. Uh, that will give them a huge confidence boost going into the presidential elections next year. It was pretty abysmal night for the uh, far right, though, um, because in, in 2015, the party managed to win six out of 13 regions in the first round, although uh, they are yet to win a region in the second round. Uh, this year they won just one, which was in the Alpes d'Azur, where uh, Thierry Mariani won 36.38% of the vote, whilst Les Républicains, Mugilier, only won 31.91% of the vote, whilst the United Left List uh, won 16.89%. Um, so originally, the United Left list was going to present itself in the second round um, as well, but after a lot, a lot of pressure, um, just yesterday, the, the left-wing list decided to withdraw um, its candidacy, So, and they've decided to support the centre-right, 
list in order to prevent the Assemblement National from winning its first ever region. And, and this is the pattern uh, everywhere we see in France uh, quite often. Uh, whomever finishes third often withdraws their candidacy and supports um, whomever is um, closest to beating the far right, um, which means the Marine Le Pen's party is yet to ever win a region in, in history. And um, it looks as if this year that, that will be the case once again. So what's really interesting is that whilst in, a, in most countries, probably, especially in the UK, um, we, we always see a huge underestimation of, of populism in the polls. But in France, we often see an overestimation. So, for example, last year, uh, I remember seeing polls which had Marine Le Pen winning around 25% of the vote sometimes even winning the first round of the presidential elections and she finished up with a rather moderate 21 percent in the first round and it was the case again so uh, the polls uh, released two days before actually predicted that the Rassemblement National would win five regions in the first round and they were quite wrong um, so we had the aforementioned Alcôte d'Azur um, then we had, uh, they also predicted Bourgogne, Franche Comte, uh, which lost to the Socialists by 3%, Centre Val de Loire, uh, which lost by 2% to the Socialists. Then in Brittany, um, where unbelievably uh, the Rassemblement National finished fourth. Um, yeah, so, so, so quite astonishing. And in Occitanie, where it was predicted to win as well. It was absolutely smashed by the socialists by 39 to 22% so 17 point gap. So the, the polls got it horribly wrong. Um, elsewhere, it was pretty abysmal night for Emmanuel Macron's party. So uh, the president's party, uh, La République En Marche, um, in a lot of regions didn't even make it to the second round. And if it did, it got between 10 and 14% maximum. Uh, in the majority of the regions, um, the party is either having to support uh, centre-right Les Républicains in the next round, or it's just going to be annihilated. Um, it will pick up one or two representatives on the local level, but it's yeah, pretty bad night for uh, Macron. Um, this is primarily to do with the fact that it's a newly established party. If you remember, Macron was originally part of the Socialist Party um, before he, he uh, left the party and, and began his own party in order to become president. But this sort of tells you that Macron doesn't really have a philosophy. Um, there's no such thing really as... Macronism. Um, he's not going to leave a mark on the country, where, whether he is re-elected or not. Um, he's simply someone who uh, is able to adapt both on the left and the right at the right circumstances in order to keep hold of power. And mainly because 
the way the presidential system works is if if you manage to gather enough support for the first round, if you're up against Marine Le Pen, then uh, you're able to to pull support from all sides against her. So essentially, he he's got the what I call the the bourgeois block um, between twenty and twenty five percent from yeah middle middle class, mostly metropolitan uh, cities. But that that's enough to get you in the second round. Um, so that that's all he cares about. So that this won't do him much harm in terms of the presidential. Um, but uh, I think he'll be slightly disappointed with how the night turned out. Um, and another big disappointment was for Jean-Luc Mélenchon's La France Insoumise, uh, which is uh, sort of the far left, we'll say. Um, so the, the, the far left party only managed to reach the second round in one region, and that was Ile-de-France, where Paris is situated where it scraped through with 10.2% of the vote. However, it's now found itself as the junior partner in a coalition with the socialists and ecologists anyway. Um, so it, it's not really come to much anyway, reaching that second round. What's really interesting about Mélenchon, the leader, is that he he's made the same political suicide as, as Jeremy Corbyn in... Um, in Britain. Um, it's strange to think that uh, around yeah, 2017, it was like the, the summer of left-wing populism. Um, so Corbyn, Jeremy Corbyn originally was uh, saying that he would respect the Brexit vote. And if you can remember rightly, he began a campaign of build it in Britain uh, around 2018, where he made a speech about the benef potential benefits of Brexit, and he wanted to begin building uh, ships in Britain, for example, and, and prioritising British workers, which um, seems quite unbelievable, but it, it, it was true. Um, Mélenchon was the same, so he came from absolutely nowhere. So. Uh, he was a member of the Socialist Party, but to the, to the far left wing of it. And he broke away to make his party. But at the beginning of the present presidential elections, he was on barely one or two percent. And he had quite a sensational rise. He was the greatest orator um, quite easily and had the, great, had the best campaign. Uh, of all the candidates, um, because Macron has all the media support, he, he was, it was inevitable his election, but Mélenchon, sort of from the groundwork, so managed to get himself 20%. So that was 2% away from reaching the second round. And his critical mistake was that he took his working class um, support for granted he failed to realize the real populist um, sentiment behind his, um, his movement because he is more of a, a classical Marxist more than a, a populist. So he believed that if he dipped into the, 
the ever depleting socialist and ecologist vote that he could get into the second round. But what he didn't realize actually was that um, a really interesting statistic that if you asked those who voted Mélenchon um, in 2017, who, was, who would their second choice be? The majority, the majority said Marine Le Pen. They didn't say a left-wing candidate. They, you see, so the, the left-wing, this is what, what, why I get frustrated sometimes with the modern left movements is um, actually you often find that left and right-wing populism have more in common um, than left-wing populism and, and the woke left. So um, again, Mélenchon made the same mistake as Jeremy Corbyn and he sort of um, abandoned his uh, working class voters and uh, he decided to start appeasing the woke, uh, what I call toy town re revolutionary uh, students. And uh, he's basically capitulated now, he's down to nine or 10% in the polls. He did horrifically in these elections. Um, we won't hear much more of him um, on the big scenes, to be honest. So, same mistake. Uh, what was the most concerning thing of the night, though, was the abstention rate. So only 34% of French people offered to turn out to vote. And quite unbelievably, only 13%, 13% of young people came out to vote. Um, so that's something we'll um, discuss. So firstly, I wanted to sort of give some reasons why the Rassemblement National uh, did so badly. So first of all, as I've mentioned, is the, the incumbent bounce. Um, there's been a general sort of rally around the flag effect, whether it be mayoral elections, whether it be national elections, incumbents have had a really good time during COVID, and that was the case. And due to the fact that the Rassemblement National had no regions from the previous elections, it was going to be incredibly difficult to break into those, um, those regions. So yeah, that was a big reason. Um, the second reason is COVID. Um, if you have as someone who studies the polls particularly, you'll find that populist parties across Europe tend to be um, either stagnating or falling slightly. And we've seen this with uh, La Lega Norte um, in uh, Italy with Salvini. Um, just can't seem to break past the 25% barrier and it's slowly falling back down towards the 20%. And that's because populism relies heavily on popular movements, as the, the name suggests. So um, it relies heavily on militants, activists, getting out and about, because often these populist parties don't have any media support. It's really grassroots movement that makes them so with all these restrictions in place, it's very difficult for militants and activists to do their job for the party. Um, as we mentioned as well, another reason will be the high 
abstention rate. Um, so it's similar story to UKIP in the UK where um, basically the Rassemblement National has been sweeping up those um, who feel disillusioned with the current political climate, who don't believe they have anything in common with the mainstream political parties, feel detached from the electoral system. Um, and if these people are going back to abstaining, um, unlike most mainstream political parties, the uh, Rassemblement National doesn't have a base to fall back on and it will cause it some trouble. So um, it really relies on the sort of disillusioned, detached uh, voters to come out of their abstention and vote for them, which they didn't do this time. And a possible reason for that, final reason why possibly the Rassemblement National didn't do as well, was because they become very diluted but they've diluted a lot of policies recently. So when Marine Le Pen became leader, she, she essentially was given a mission to detoxify the party. And she was a great success um, to a point. Um, obviously, she, she came closer than ever to becoming president last election. But uh, arguably, she, she's gone too far. Um, so, for example, she, she's no longer supportive of a referendum on membership of the European Union. She now wants to remain in the euro. She says, uh, believes that soon there'll be a populist majority in the European Parliament and that soon she will be able to influence policy within the EU, even though we know that the power is based in the Commission as opposed to the Parliament. Um, and then on the other side, Emmanuel Macron, on certain issues such as um, BLM, statue destroying, on radical Islam, he's actually been a lot more right, socially right-wing than most people realise. Uh, and so it's sort of becoming more and more difficult to see how Marine Le Pen stands out from uh, the mainstream uh, political sphere. So um, I think this could also be a reason. Now, abstention. So why was it so high this year? So there are some non-political reasons, short-term political reasons, and long-term political reasons. Non-political reasons is, first of all, COVID. Um, Sometimes it's yeah difficult to forget, uh, to remember that we are in a pandemic, even though it is easing now. Um, so people are still generally scared of, of being contaminated. Um, so a lot of people are put off going to the polls. Some people may not sort of be particularly good at being able to do postal votes, whatever. Not the greatest excuse, but it's still the case. Second of all was the weather. Um, actually, I'm currently residing in Montpellier in the south of France. Um, 
and on the Sunday, uh, when it was time to vote, uh, we had the most horrendous storm, uh, rain pouring everywhere, horrendous winds, lightning striking everywhere. So I wouldn't be surprised if some people chose not to vote on the day purely due to the weather. But more short-term political reasons, we had very poor information distribution um, about the elections themselves. And Marine Le Pen actually accused Macron of, of sort of sabotaging um, because he has the same idea as we do in that he knows that um, higher the abstention is, the lower her, uh, her score will be. Um, and in a sense, uh, she is right because as a sort of neutral who's still trying to find his uh, political niche in France, um, I didn't actually find any posters, uh, well, barely any posters or any information about these elections. Um, and unsurprisingly, I, I read that one in two young people didn't even know elections uh, were on that day. So, um, and what one big change this year was that uh, the job of delivering voting information, leaflets, etc., was not given to La Poste, the, the national, the national delivery service, uh, but it was handed to um, a private company this year. And uh, again, there's been accusations that uh, there's been a bit of uh, it's a cronyism between uh, Emmanuel Macron and this private company. Uh, mm, I don't know. I don't think it's enough really to, 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 to have such an impact. Uh, there were also um, a lot of video circulating and protests of uh, workers striking for the Renault factory. So currently it's in the process of being privatized uh, by Macron's party. Uh, a lot of workers are very displeased and uh, there were a lot of protests, videos, etc. Of, uh, of these striking workers burning their ballot papers and encouraging people not to vote. And I think that would particularly resonate amongst uh, traditional working class voters. So you, you, you could see uh, a rise in abstaining among that uh, demographic. But in two more long-term political Causes. Firstly, as, as I've mentioned, is the overly centralized constitution. So um, people tend to forget that the French Fifth Republic was built off the back of a military coup. So at the time, so after the Second World War, France developed the Fourth Republic which was the most democratic that we've seen. Uh, parliament, the, the power laid with uh, Parliament. Um, and the problem was that it was very unstable, similar to what we see in Italy, but, but actually 10 times worse, where that uh, on average, a government fell every nine months. 
um, parties were playing a lot of uh, party politics, uh, coalitions falling all the time. And especially in France, where there's, there is a history of uh, parties, we know what they're like. They're really, uh, they refuse to cooperate with others and yeah, very unstable. And at the same time, uh, we had the Algerian crisis. So at the time, Algeria was still a member of, I remember, a colony of the French Empire. And there were a lot of independence movements pushing for an independent Algeria from France. And at that time, there were particularly quite a lot of vicious terrorist attacks, fighting uh, in France uh, and in Algeria. It was getting pretty ugly. The country was pretty close to collapsing and Charles de Gaulle, the, the hero of the French resistance, um, made an agreement with the, the military and, and essentially cooed his way into power. Now, once he arrived in power, he wrote up a new Fifth Republic constitution because of the instability of the Fourth Republic. He chose to divert all the power of Parliament and local regions back to the executive branch. Uh, France's constitutionally, um, France's president is one of the um, strongest in the world in the sense that um, he has a lot of constitutional powers. Um, so when it comes to these regional elections, people question whether their vote is really useful or not, because essentially 90% of the power in France resides, um, well, if we're forgetting Brussels and the EU, uh, it resides primarily uh, with the executive branch and the president. And finally, there is another reason which we will delve very deeply into, which is the long-term shakeup of the French political system. Um, so what's interesting is, obviously, in the 2017 presidential elections, um, it was essentially Macron versus Le Pen. And Le Pen, famous quote, which I rather agree with, is that um, the divide is no longer between the traditional left and right, uh, but between the globalists and the patriots. Um, but actually, in the regional elections, we, we've returned to the traditional French system. Now, the French media keep painting this as a return to the traditional left-right divide. Um, but essentially, this has always been a myth. Uh, this is what really interests me about France, um, is that actually the two left wings in France and the two right wings often did not cooperate, often did not form coalitions together. Um, and people are confused as to why. And actually we have to return to 
very long-term anthropological reasons for this, um, which are rather interesting. So dating from around the mid 19th or the early 19th century until, until the 1970s or 80s, um, French politics can be, or the political loyalties and philosophies can be, were determined by three things, religion, family, or family structure and agriculture. These three things defined French politics for almost 200 years following the, the revolutions. So essentially there were four political ideologies. So the first one are, are the socialists. It's inherited the uh, revolution socialist revolution hand in hand but actually like a lot of social socialist social democratic movements in europe its roots can be traced back to protestantism so in the uk this was the this was the case with the uh with the labor party and if you remember harold wilson saying um labor party has Methodism to find far more than Marxism. Um, so in the areas which were most influenced by uh, socialism were positive correlation with those influenced by the heresies of the medieval period, those who rejected Orthodox Catholicism, but also the Protestant Reformation. So these are Aquitaine, Occitanie, and Alpes Côte d'Azur. Uh, these are all regions that the socialists have won this year, actually. Um, and as well as the religion, it was defined, these areas were defined by its complex family model. So this means that on average, uh, there were three generations or more living under a single household. And ironically, um, French socialism's roots stem from this family um, structure, which, which is typically Protestant, um, which is both authoritarian and inegalitarian. Um, authoritarian in the sense that um, parents have a very strong generational link with their children, a uh, lot of authority on their children and egalitarian in its heritage. So basically when land was passed down, it was given to the firstborn son and um, other children had to work elsewhere. And in terms of agriculture, these were landowning peasants, very important to remember. So with all this background in mind, you find that it, it morphed into a unique French style of socialism, uh, which respected the authority of God and the state over the church, um, but also retained the revolutionary Republican value of private property, um, which came from the, the fact that these were landowning uh, peasants 
Um, and it's why, a big reason why the socialists could never form an alliance with the French Communist Party. They're the socialists. Um, the second ideology that we had was the Catholic right wing. Um, so this is all of the Northwest, so Brittany, Pays de la Loire and Normandy, but also Alsace uh, in the East and some parts of the South. So these strongholds uh, were areas where the majority of priests uh, rejected the rev revolutionary government 1790 civil constitution of clergy, uh, which essentially um, made the Catholic Church so subordinate to the state. And it's where over 50% of, lo of the local population still attended Catholic mass. So these are, yeah, uh, places which, which held on to its Catholicism um, for, for a long time. Um, however, it was a fragile alliance um, because there was a mixture of complex family structures in Brittany and in the South, and, uh, but also an absolute nuclear family um, in the Pays de la Loire and in Normandy. So the absolute nuclear family structure um, was built upon weak generational family ties. So basically, once you're married, you leave your parents' household and you start your new family, um, but also non-egalitarian heritage. So once again, um, all would go to the first, uh, the firstborn son. Um, now, agriculturally, it was slightly different. So it was peasants um, who rented land, essentially. So they would either, they would pay a monthly rent, um, but they would be able to manipulate the land as much as possible. Um, and yeah, they would pay landlords. So the reason why, despite the difference in uh, family structures, the reason why this alliance stayed together was actually due to the fact that in that the northwest of France was the area where public secular education had the least impact. So in the northwest of France, um, private over 50% of children were educated in private, private Catholic schools. Um, and this had a of course, a, a huge influence on, on Catholic thought on these, on these young Frenchmen. Now, the next ideology was the liberal right, uh, which is probably what now better known as Le Gaullisme, uh, named after Charles de Gaulle. So this liberal right thrived in the Paris Basin. Um, so the Paris Basin is the largest part of France. It starts from the south of the Nord-Pas-de-Calais 
and it stretches all the way down until Aquitaine and La Massive Centrale. Um, it's segregated from the northwest, but it does stretch e eastwards all the way up into Alsace, so most of the north and central France. Um, so why it thrived there? So it was a de-Christianized zone. Um, so we go back to the revolution and its um, reforms to the Catholic Church. These areas accepted it and rather quickly became de-Christianized afterwards. So it's the area where we have the highest number of divorces and highest attendance of secular public school. Uh, the family model uh, structure, however, was nuclear and egalitarian. So we had very weak generational ties with family again. So uh, people would uh, leave their family home, start to well, get married, new family. Um, but in terms of inheritance from their parents, uh, they would share those equally among siblings. Uh, and actually, where the revolutionary sort of behavior comes from, really, is its agricultural um, structure, because it was based upon large exploitation of land. So essentially, you had a small number of people who owned large swathes of land, and workers would produce sort of the, the textbook um, modern capitalist uh, structure. And this essentially created an agricultural working class, which is interesting. So many people believe uh, that Gaullism wasn't liberal and it was authoritarian, uh, but actually they confused that with um, authoritarianism with centralization because the goal arrived and very much centralized the country. Um, but this was a typical Jacobin uh, tradition. It was a very revolutionary uh, tradition. And actually, Charles de Gaulle was a cultural conservative as opposed to a social conservative. So he believed in conserving the idea of the nation state its culture and traditions. But at the same time, he democratized France by scrapping the Electoral College and uh, liberated women by removing certain articles of the Napoleonic Code, which restrained women's liberties. So for example, up until the 1960s, women were not allowed to get a job without their husband's permission. They couldn't get married without their father's permission. Uh, they weren't allowed to open a bank account, um, which wasn't under their husband's name. So essentially, single women didn't have bank accounts. All these things, Charles de Gaulle removed. So he was, for his time, he was quite socially liberal, but he was very, very much culturally conservative. And the last ideology, um, is communism. Now this had a much um, shorter lifetime. Um, so it arrived later and it was dead earlier than the rest. Um, but during its apogee, it flourished in the southern parts of the Parisian basin, Le Centre Limousin and the Mediterranean. Uh, again, 
um, these areas were mostly de-Christianized. So communism was yeah, the heritage of de-Christianization. Um, so what's interesting is that the latter two regions, which I mentioned, the Centre Limousin and the Mediterranean areas towards the south, um, these had a communitarian family structure. Uh, so it was very authoritarian. Uh, it was both very strong in its generational ties, so several generations living under one household. And once again, it was egalitarian in its heritage, um, in the fact that it redistributed um, land amongst siblings. Um, its agricultural policy was actually based off of crop sharing. Um, and also it, it, it was uh, rent paying. So um, these people would pay rent to landlords, but they would do so with their produce rather than their monies. So uh, for example, you would set 10% aside of your produce and that would be given to your landlord to feed him essentially. Uh, however, you'll notice that the former two areas, um, the former two areas that I mentioned, so those were uh, the Nopa de Kere and southern parts of the Parisian basin. Uh, these were um, the communists were essentially stepping on liberal territory. Um, however, uh, the industrialization of the nation uh, saw a birth of an industrial working class. Um, now, in Catholic sections of the country, workers did stay loyal to the Catholic right, um, but in de-Christianized areas, workers did often turn towards the Communist Party. Um, so essentially, what, what's interesting is that socialists and the Catholic right are essentially the inheritors of the anti-revolutionary movement. And they were primarily, primarily separated on religious grounds. So Orthodox Catholicism versus um, and Protestantism and other religions. Uh, the Gaullists or the liberal right and the communists are essentially the inheritors of the revolution. And they, as it was primarily de-Christianized areas which they dominated, it was these two were separated on economic grounds uh, as opposed to religious. Uh, what's interesting to note, though, is that uh, Gaulism and socialism um, had much more of a solid base. They were structured upon a single family structure. Um, this is so significant. Uh, whilst the Catholic right and communists uh, had a much fra more fragile base as they had a, a mixture of family structures.
and we'll look at why that's important uh, right now. So these four ideologies, these voting patterns um, remained in place until around the 1970s where there were three essentially revolutions which transmogrified the French political system. So first of all, you have the sexual revolution. So if you can cast your mind back, Paris, 19, May 1968, the student revolutions and demand for sexual liberation. And it succeeded in the end, it, it toppled Charles de Gaulle, um, huge reforms were put into place, contraception was through the roof, uh, free love, um, essentially, yeah. Um, the sexual revolution was essentially the final nail in the, the coffin for Catholicism in France, uh, and particularly the Catholic right. Um, so essentially objective morality um, disintegrates and the authority of the church dies. So what's very, very interesting now is that we go back to the old family structures. So remember I said in the Northwest, uh, you had a mixture um, of complex family structure and absolute nuclear structure. So these two split into two. So in Brittany, um, uh, in Brittany, the Catholic right um, turned socialist um, because essentially it replaces um, it replaces the authority of the church with the authority of the state um, with objective morale gone and the authority of the church dead. Uh, it's complex family structure, which is um, has its roots in authoritarianism, decides to replace the church's authority with the state's authority. Uh, on the other hand, the nuclear structured Normandy and Pays de la Loire uh, rejoin the Gaullist right as essentially their roots with a more liberal family structure, uh, which is really interesting because uh, as you can see in the results, uh, this year that is still the case. So Brittany was socialist, uh, Normandy and Pays de la Loire voted uh, Républicain, who are essentially the, well, they, they, they profess to be the Gaullist party of today. The second big revolution was deindustrialization in France and essentially the siphoning of the industrial working class. Um, this was a disaster for the Communist Party. It, it simply imploded in the 1980s and, and now um, it can barely get two or three percent of the national vote. Um, 
but this was the key to the socialists finally obtaining power uh, in 1981 through uh, François Mitterrand. Um, because essentially it was its ability to absorb the communist vote in de-Christianized areas of the country, uh, which were dominated by the question of economics as opposed to social questions. So remember, um, the communists were essentially, we'll say, stealing uh, votes in the Paris Basin, which is naturally liberal, whereas the communists are naturally authoritarian. Um, so the communists were stealing votes there. Um, and naturally, those voters could have gone, could have become Gorist. Um, however, um, the socialists understood that the prime primary question was economics in these zones. So uh, the workers who had voted communist, um, or not necessarily the workers, a lot of middle-class voters or communist, uh, they jumped ship to the socialists to stay on the left-wing economics. Um, so thus, uh, we see today actually that uh, the socialists still control Centre de la Loire and uh, Bourgogne, Franche Comté, uh, both in the southern part of the Paris Basin. Uh, but also, it's well, it should do in the second round, um, take Alpes Côte d'Azur uh, in the Mediterranean with both the Christian zones. Um, however, this created a new, very complex coalition in the Socialist Party, uh, which was a mixture of the complex family structure and the nuclear family structure of authoritarian and liberal values. And this really morphed uh, the Socialist Party in, into what it is today. Um, so in a sense, in some ways, it's both authoritarian to please it traditional base, and the newly taken Catholic right, um, but also it's very liberal in some senses in order to appease the parish basin voters. So its authoritarian side is its extreme bureaucracy. Um, so in the 1980s, Francois Mitterrand created 3 million new civil service posts, which have become a, a nightmare in France. Um, the bureaucracy is horrendous, I can assure you that. Uh, but also it's interventionism in, in private and control over family policy. Um, so it, it essentially used the techniques of the Catholic Church, uh, it's authoritarianism, but it instead of fighting against contraception, for example, like the church did, uh, it fought for it and the control of family life. Um, but on the, the other side, it had its liberal side. So in the sense that it's authorized uh, private television uh, or it allowed private te television for the first time in France in the 1980s. 
Uh, it also completely abandoned France's national industry and it accepted uh, allowing the private sphere to, to influence the, the public um, quite sensationally. Um, it uh, allowed mass privatization in, in certain sections. So it, it sort of reminds me of, of the, the Blairism project. Uh, it had this very broad coalition, which it tried to keep intact with a mixture of social authoritarianism and economic liberalism. Um, in the short term, it works, but for both cases, both, both projects have died on the national stage. So, okay, so in the regional elections, the socialists are staying where they are, but in terms of national elections, um, they're almost non-existent now, around 5%. And this implosion of the French system, so we, we essentially went from four ideologies to the two, um, the liberal right versus the return socialist. It has caused what, what we call the uh, a Durkheimian enemy, um, which is a sort of a condition of instability resulting from a breakdown of standards and values or from a lack of purpose or ideals. Um, I believe this has played a huge role in the rise of abstention in, in France because um, people essentially no longer have a clear structure how to vote. Um, you have parties which are constantly morphing to keep hold of their broad coalitions. So this is, abstention has essentially been growing um, progressively since the 1980s and it seems to have really exploded recently. Um, and this gap in the market with the abstention is which comes to our third revolution is immigration. So before the 1970s, there were huge swathes of immigration and before that, but in the 1970s, we began to get the first large waves of North African immigration and Arab immigration. Um, and the sort of the coupling of the industrialization and mass immigration is what really gave birth to the National Front. Um, so actually, you, you begin to, if you look at the 2017 electoral map, um, the National Front did best in the Mediterranean and the Northeast, where immigration is, is rather high in the Mediterranean. And, and in the Northeast, we had huge industrialization. Um, and actually, the Northeast of France suffered terribly during this, this period. So um, the areas in France that had the greatest industrial success actually became the victim of their own successes because having exploited large swathes of their lands, almost destroyed a lot of it, um, these areas then struggled to transition to tertiary economies. Uh, also the fact that 
these areas tended to be less educated because there were so many job opportunities and um, un, unqualified manual work. Um, there was less incentive to, to uh, be educated to a high level. Uh, and the first waves of these North African migrants had an extremely poor level of education. Um, around only 20% could actually uh, read uh, or write. Uh, most, almost no one spoke French. They were almost being treated as machinery in the time. Um, so we had a new society which began to form, which had a clear divide between the sort of newly born professional class and the uneducated uh, migrant worker uh, who found themselves mostly in very underpaid um, manual or, or cleaning work. Um, and this anti-immigration sentiment began to rise really in the former industrial heartlands of France, where level of education was equally rather poor. Um, people were struggling to retrain or find new work because of their level of education. Um, and obviously with deindustrialization, the jobs went, people migrated and those who did stay were often left to compete with migrant workers um, for very under well-paid work. Um, essentially that's, um, that's how the map of, electoral map of France structured itself. Uh, and actually what, what I've described to you, these realignments in the 1980s have stayed the same in um, in these regional elections. Uh, however, what's quite funny actually is that Emmanuel Macron is essentially born um, from Marine Le Pen um, in the fact that uh, he's simply there to stop uh, winning or, or so we are told. Um, um, because people were so disillusioned with the traditional parties, the Republican, the Socialist, um, Macron was painted as the, um, essentially the, uh, how would I say, the detached from the, the system, which is profoundly wrong, uh, but he was painted as someone who was outside of the mainstream political system who could defeat the far right. So that's why in the presidential elections, we have a completely different picture to the regional ones. Um, now I'm going to give some predictions, um, some short-term ones, some long-term ones. So in terms of the second round, um, I think every one who won the first round will win the second round as well, apart from the Alpes Côte d'Azur, um, which the Rassemblement National won. I believe Les Républicains will, will take the seat uh, simply because the, um, the left list has pulled out and given them a clear shot at defeating. Um, 
So I believe on Star Sports Politics, uh, it was boosted from 1.5 to 2 for the Rassemblement National not to win a single region. I think this is a steal. Um, I, this was boosted before the left withdrew their list, so I'm hoping it's still there. Um, but if it is, I'd highly recommend lumping on that. I think it's a steal. In terms of individual races, there aren't many that particularly interest me. Um, I think one to maybe keep an eye on is the Ile de France, which is dominated by Paris. So in the first round, the incumbent uh, Valérie uh, Pécresse of Les Républicains won with around 36% of the vote. Second place was uh, Jordan Bardella, who is seen as the sort of poster boy of the Rassemblement National. It would be embarrassing for him only to get 13%. Um, so actually, currently, the odds of Valérie Pécresse to hold on to a seat is one5 which is pretty good odds because I, I think she's a shoe-in, really. Um, there's a lot of hype for the second round because uh, there are there's going to be a united uh, left-wing um, ticket. So La France Insoumise, the, the far left, uh, Les Ecolo the, well, the ecologists and the socialists have come together to form um, a united left-wing ticket. All three of them got between 10 and 12% in the first round, so fairly close to Valérie Pécresse. Um, but two things, really. One is a lot of people on the centre-left don't really like uh, Mélenchon and the, La France Insoumise because um, they see... Him as him and Marine Le Pen as um, two cheeks of the same ass in terms of their populism or extremism, as they'll tell you. Um, and second of all, is Macron's party got around 10% of the vote first round. I think um, he's going to lose some voters to Les Républicains in the second round just to try and help get the centre-right over the line uh, to beat the, uh, the far-right, really. Um, so, yeah, for, they should completely hold that, and that was at 1.5, which is still decent odds. In the long term, uh, there are a few polls which suggest Marine Le Pen is catching up with Macron. Don't believe any of that. Macron will easily be re-elected re president. That's currently 1.62. I think that's pretty good odds for the moment. I'd, I'd put it more at 1.2 or 1.3. <clears throat> because as I said, essentially, the presidential two-round system makes it near enough impossible for uh, populists or extremists on either side to, to win. Um, so essentially what happens is uh, in the second round, you have uh, the left, centre-left, centre-right, or all the sort of 
liberals uh, who form a coalition around Macron to, to, to stop then becoming uh, president. One thing I will tip though is, um, I, I think Marine Le Pen will win the first round of the presidential election. I think she's going to steal back some of um, Mélenchon's support from the last election. So um, the sort of traditional left-wing populists who felt as if Mélenchon abandoned them um, to appease the, the, student, the woke student left. Um, so I think she could just about pip the first round, but then Macron will uh, take the second round. What will be interesting this year, though, is to see the level of abstention in the second round and see how that uh, affects Macron. Um, because in the last elections, Macron was still relatively little known. Um, and most people on the left or who voted left in the first round, uh, they thought to themselves, um, even though their economic policy is fairly similar, at least Macron is a social liberal, so we're going to vote for him. Uh, but as I mentioned before, there's been a few occasions like when he was quite firm against statue toppling. Um, he's been quite hard on radical Islam. So, For example, he, he went as far as... Um, as far as um, withdrawing uh, a candidacy from his party because the woman was wearing a, a burqa in, uh, in the poster, the election poster. Um, and also with the yellow vests, we saw the huge police brutality in his authoritarian side. So I think uh, a lot of left-wing voters won't, bother to turn out this time for the uh, second round. It won't be enough to stop Macron becoming president, but it will certainly make the contest uh, a closer run than it, than, it is, than it was last time. I'd say around 55 to 45% victory for Macron. Um, yeah. So yeah, that's everything for me today. Um, so yeah, we we've we look forward to those round of elections on Sunday. We'll see if there's a rise in the level of people vote turning out to vote. Uh, next episode, we will be um, it will be just after the Batley and Spend by-election, where we'll be discussing the very big shock which happened in Amersham and Chesham and also looking at Labour's future following uh, the Batley and Spend by-election. Uh, I look forward to seeing you then. Uh, hopefully a, a guest will be back on my show for that. But anyway, I hope you've enjoyed it. Let me know what you think. Um, have a great evening and uh, good luck to England against Germany, obviously. <laughs>